And beautiful, beautiful. Thank you all. Good job on that piano, Isaiah. I like it. I got to, I got to hear y'all sing a duet today. Got a video this morning of Marissa and Nathan singing a duet with me and Marissa playing the piano. Ain't God good, Mama? God's good. Amen. All right, we're going to be back in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this evening. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. As we pick back up with part 5 of the series on the Lord gave the word. We're going to get out in the weeds a little bit tonight. But we'll, we'll bring you back out of the weeds and put you back out on the fairway before we get done. Um, I, I have been enjoying going back through my Bible college textbooks, uh, Landmarks of Baptist Doctrine primarily is the one that has, uh, I referred to the most, that really as a young man in Bible college, um, Lord really nailed these things down for me back in the 90s. And I get a little bit, I get a little bit tickled, and a little bit frustrated at the same time. A lot of these whippersnappers that are changing Bibles, saying, "Well, I studied it out." I'm like, "Oh, well, none of the rest of us thought about doing that." <laughs> Sarcastically, obviously, studied it out 30 years ago. Amen. And every generation, there's a crop of young guys coming along, think they're the only ones ever asked the questions about the Bible. Uh, and so that's really one reason why I felt like I needed to just, just really just dig down in this study. And tonight we're looking at uh, the third message about the inspiration. We're going to probably move on next week and look at the canonization of Scripture. And that is a fascinating study. There were a lot of letters. There were a lot of writings. There were a lot of things that were written down through the centuries. But when the Bible was being compiled... There was some criteria that was set as to which ones were the inspired Word of God and which ones were not. And that whole process of how we came up with 66 books is going to be a great study. Uh, it's fascinating to me. I hope it will be fascinating and interesting for you as well. I get asked a lot because we're here in Maryland. I get asked a lot about the Apocrypha and other things. Why, why do we not have that in the Bible? And we'll get into some of those things as to how we got our 66 books and the standard and the criteria that had to be met by the early church as these books, were, as the Bible was coming together. And uh, what a tremendous story of God just preserving his word and God giving that to us. And so uh, we'll just keep on digging right through this. It's going to be great. I'm not sure how many more messages there will be. Uh, but when we get finished, we'll get finished, all right? In the meantime, we'll just keep going through it. Stand with me, please. We're just going to read our text, and uh, then we're going to jump right into the message tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Lord, help us this evening, I pray, as we go back and look at the word of God and how we got it. And Lord, how grateful we are tonight to have the word of God. I pray that you to help us to learn something new 
And Lord, be even more excited after this message about the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I've only got two points tonight, two main points, but I've got quite a few sub-points. I'm going to run through the first section of points and sub-points because I really want to labor the second half of this message. But the first thing that I want to just jump right into tonight as we look at this, and that is this area of the confusion that is surrounding this matter of the inspiration of Scripture. The devil is a master at creating chaos and confusion where there should not be any. And for example, the very first recorded statement that we have of Satan as he's talking in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter number three, the Bible says in verse one of Genesis three, and the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, yea, hath God said. Very first statement that we have recorded in our Bible of Satan talking, he's casting doubt on the word of God. He's trying to create confusion in the heart and the mind of Eve, and he did that. He, he did just enough, as, if you, as I've said several times, he created just enough confusion, he introduced just enough doubt to tilt the scales to get her to do what she did, which was to partake of that forbidden fruit. And the devil is not really trying to make everybody in here an atheist. He's not trying to make people agnostics even. But if he can get you to question or doubt the Word of God, take some part of the Bible that is crystal clear and say, I don't believe that's what that means. I don't believe that's what God said. Then he's got you, all right? So it's very important that you and I understand the tactics and the tools of Satan. There are three basic perspectives when it comes to this matter of the inspiration of scripture. You've got the position of the biblicist. The biblicist or Bible believer. We believe the Bible is the word of God. The biblicist does believe the Bible is the word of God. Then you've got the modernist. The modernist believes the Bible contains the word of God. We're going to look at some of that here in just a second. And then you've got these liberals that have this really crazy belief that the Bible becomes the word of God. It's a process because we are biblicists. We believe the Bible is the word of God. Our text tonight says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We accept that without any hesitation. But there are several theories about inspiration that are floating around out there. And as I was studying this out, I realized that some of these people that believe this list I'm going to go through right quick, there's six or eight things that we're going to quickly run through they, they may not even recognize it by this particular name. This is what theologians and Bible students have kind of broken down, outlined these different ideas and misconceptions and theories that people have about inspiration that's caused by Satan confusing people. Just enough, just enough to twist, just enough to wrestle, just enough to create question marks in people's mind. They might not even know it by these particular names, but by their very theology or by their life, they demonstrate that this would be their position. So let's just give you a few of these tonight. The first one would be the theory of dynamic inspiration. This is the belief that the writers of the Bible, the men that penned the Word of God, were just simply vessels. They were just passive instruments used of God. It's also known as mechanical uh, dictation, meaning uh, that, they, that they were just completely oblivious to what they were doing and they were just uh, 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 like a pen in somebody's hand. They were just going along there. Uh, it's clear though, and we know this from the Bible, it's clear that though God was speaking, though they were writing down what God told them to write, 
God in his sovereignty and God in his providence allowed their personality and their literary style to be in the writings. You can many times, you can detect uh, who the author of the book is because they use a lot of the same language, a lot of the same words, a lot of the same tone, a lot of the same uh, personality comes through. A person that believes in dynamic inspiration doesn't understand what we talked about last week was that congruent inspiration where the Bible was given by inspiration through a divine means as well as through human means. God took the two and was able to supernaturally give us his word. If the dynamic inspiration idea was true, then every book of the Bible would have the same style, same vocabulary. I mean, then it doesn't. It doesn't. Okay, so uh, these are just some different ideas that are floating around out there. The second would be the theory of conceptual inspiration. And this belief holds to the idea that only the concepts and the thoughts of the Bible are given by inspiration. This is the, that the writer simply captured the general sense of what God was trying to tell us, which we don't believe. We reject this belief because we believe in the verbal inspiration of God's word. We believe that God inspired the very words, not just the concepts, not just the general ideas. Note, this belief, this idea right here is what opens the door for a person to just accept all these modern translations. And here's what they say. Well, they all, they say basically the same thing. They have the same idea or the same concept. Well, words matter. <laughs> words matter. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by uh, bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we gave a whole list of verses uh, last week on that. So we're not just uh, believing in the general idea of the text. We believe that God's very words are inspired. And so there's a big difference there. The second and third one would be the, the theory of partial inspiration. This is a group of people that believes the Bible contains the word of God. Okay, they believe that the Word of God is in here, but not all of it is the Word of God. And the problem with this is it opens the door for really unlimited debate on as to what parts of this Bible is inspired and what parts are not. And, and, and if you go down that road, you'll end up with women preachers who take the writings of the Apostle Paul and say, yeah, that's, but that's not what that means today. They don't believe in every part of it being inspired, obviously. Homosexuals do not believe every part of this Bible. You got liberal churches, woke churches that have, that have a form of godliness, but then they've got homosexuals on staff playing in the instruments, uh, play, singing and doing whatever and that has no problem with homosexuality. They don't believe that the verses pertaining to homosexuality is the true word of God. And that is evident by their lifestyle. Is everybody still with me? All right, so if you ever say, if you say, if you're going to say I'm a Bible believer, you got to believe all of it. Right. I said this last week, you either believe all of it or you don't believe none of it. Right. Amen. Then, and then letter D, number four, the theory of, there's a theory of gracious inspiration. This belief holds to the idea that the very writers themselves were inspired because they may have been spiritual or pious men, godly men, had a close walk with God. They believe, uh, these people that believe in this believe that they were granted deep and unprecedented insights into the heart and mind of God because of their own personal testimony or their walk with God. And we don't believe that because the Bible is clear in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the scripture is inspired, not the writers. There's a difference. Truth of the matter is every writer in the Bible had flaws and imperfections. In fact, I'm a little bit 
amazed that God would allow some of the men to write the Bible that did write the Bible. It's evident that God was speaking and they were the instrument. They were not inspired. What they wrote that God said was what was inspired, okay? It was not them, but the Word of God. That's important that you understand that. Number five, there is the theory of natural inspiration floating around. This is the idea that the writers of the Scripture were inspired just as you and I might be inspired today by reading a Hallmark card. Now, we use that word inspired synonymously with blessed or encouraged or edified. I read that. It was inspiring to me. Brother Hank Arthur's working on volume five of his book of poems. What, a, what an author. What a writer. Author. Brother Arthur is an author. His, his poems are inspiring, but they're not inspired. Huh? I like listening to the inspirations, but they're not inspired. That word inspired today doesn't mean what 2 Timothy chapter four, uh, 3 and verse 16 means. God's word is not just inspiring, but it is inspired. There is a difference. Number, uh, letter F, the theory of, um, I'm on F already, the theory of demythological inspiration. This is fascinating to me because there's a lot of this floating around, though nobody would probably call it that. That's what we're calling it. This group believes that the literal truths of the Word of God must be unveiled and interpreted through modern perspectives. Huh? How much of that do you see floating around out there? They believe the Bible was written with a literary style and they believe that we have to peel away the layers of myths in order to finally get to the truth of what God was really wanting us to say. For example, there's a group of people that do not believe, they just outright reject the Genesis account of creation. And they believe that God created everything today and he used evolution to do it. All right? In fact, sometimes if... If, you, if you'll notice, you'll see that little fish that's a symbol of Christianity. You'll see a bumper sticker. It'll have that fish, and it'll have little legs on it. All right? It's a, it's a, it's a Christian Darwinist, okay? They believe that God wrote, uh, created everything, but he chose to do it through evolution. There's only one small problem with that. That is not what the Bible says. Genesis chapter number one is not some myth, all right, that we have to peel back the layers and figure out what really happened. And so in essence, they're not only denying, just outright denying the word of God and replacing it with modern interpretation, but they're making the Bible completely subjective and they place man's intellect as the greater authority over the scripture. Which we reject that. And then letter G, we see the theory of a personal counter, encounter inspiration. So this is a system of belief that teaches that the Bible is an infallible record which becomes the Word of God when the message of God breaks through in the heart and mind of a person through some sort of a personal experience. In other words, each person may discover a different truth based on their own experience. Do you see how sneaky the devil is? We live in a society today, a lot of people embrace this whether they realize it or not, they do not believe in absolutes. Everything's relative. 
And that's why they say, well, that's, that's true to you. That's your truth. This is my truth. Well, there's only one truth. And the truth is not based on mine and your personal experiences. I have yet to meet a, 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 a I've yet to meet a, a dyed-in-the-wool charismatic that does not place more emphasis on their personal experiences than they do on the Word of God. And you can take the Bible and you can show them what the Bible says about speaking in tongues or about being slain in the Spirit or about miracles and all that, and you'll, they'll say something like this, well, all I know is what I felt. All I know is what I saw. All I know is, and they're placing more weight on their personal encounter than they are on the authority of the Word of God. And so a person's encounter with God in their mind determines what the Bible says and what it means to them. Well, that's what it means to me. This is another example of man's attempt to elevate themselves above God. And all of this is traced back to Genesis 3, where uh, the serpent said to Eve, God's trying to deprive you of becoming a small g God. He knows that the day that you eat this fruit, you shall be as gods. And so the, 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 the worm on the hook, the lure, if you will, is man's uh, desire to be elevated to that of an authority. And that wasn't what God intended. God wanted us to just believe what he said. So the devil will do anything he can to create confusion and doubt. And in every single one of these examples right here, there is a, there's a loophole, there's wiggle room. If there's something in that Bible that you don't agree with, if you believe one of those things, you got to out right there. I don't have to do that because of, and then you explain it away. Whereas those of us that believe the Bible is the word of God, we believe God's right and I'm wrong. God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. That's our position here at Calvary Baptist Church. That's my position, always has been, and I will always be. Now I want to jump into number two as we talk about the inspiration, not only the confusion around the Word of God, but I want to look at some confirmations within the Word of God. And, if, and, 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 and I don't need them, you don't need them, but the Bible is filled, filled with hundreds of internal confirmations of the fact that this Bible right here was given by God and, and, and there's things that are revealed in Scripture that the writers had no way of knowing if God had not told them. Right, right, right. And that fascinates me. I've heard so many people say, well, that's just a book. It was written by a bunch of men. They've not read it. Right. They've not read it and they've not studied it. Because what we're going to look tonight, we're just going to hit a couple of highlights. Uh, we could spend several hours. I'm not going to do that. But I want you to say, I do want to know this. It's important for us to note that the Bible was not written to impress the scholars. Right. Bible was written to enlighten the hearts and minds of men to, to God and God's will and what God wanted. And the Bible is worded in ways that the common man, the average man can understand. Bible's written. Some books are written on a second grade level. Some are written on a fifth grade level. But a child can read the Bible and most of it understand what it's saying. There's God used language. He used statements and language in the Bible that critics and scholars laugh at and mock at and just outright dismiss the Bible because of things like, for example, Psalm chapter 50, verse number one, talks about the rising and the setting of the sun as opposed to the earth rotating around uh, the sun but, or, or whatever. Uh, the, 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 the Psalm chapter 50, verse number one says, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken 
and call the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. And all the scholars say, well, the sun doesn't really sit and it doesn't really rise. It's funny because all of us today talk about sunrises and sunsets. That's something that we understand. Um, Isaiah eleven twelve talks about the four corners of the earth. Isaiah eleven twelve talks about uh, the four corners of the earth. Well, the earth is a, is, is a sphere. So technically there are no corners, but yet we today understand what the four corners of the world means. That just means everywhere. It means all over. The pillars of the earth are referenced in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 8 where he said he, make, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he hath set the world upon them. The scholars and the skeptics laugh and say, well, the earth is not sitting on pillars. Well, we know that. But he's talking about the fact that God came down and humbled himself. I think it's, I think it's in Psalm chapter 113, if I'm not mistaken, where he references this. I love those verses. Talks about how big God is. I wasn't planning on going over, over there, but I got to. Psalm 113, I believe it is. Uh, who's like the Lord our God who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dung hill that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. But God uses language that we can understand to paint a picture, to reveal his heart and his mind to us. And in spite of what the critics say, and in spite of what all the brainiacs have to say, the internal evidence for the inspiration of scripture is overwhelming. The Bible reveals truth that nobody in the day that it was written could have possibly known apart from God's revelation and inspiration of truth to them. I'm going to give you just a few of them that were listed in the Landmarks of Baptist Doctrine, Volume 1, that I was studying this afternoon. Fascinating. There's, uh, for example, there's a whole list that we could look at tonight under the area of just biology. I'm only going to give you a few of them, but Acts chapter 17 and verse number 26 tells us that the all human race has a genetic unity. All right? I said the human race. One race. Everybody okay? Acts chapter 17. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to turn to some of these and some of these we're not. And you can turn and look at them later if you want to. But when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill, he said, and he hath made, in verse 26, he hath made of one blood all nations for men to dwell on all the face of the earth. He hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. So uh, even, even the Bible talks about all men of one blood. I don't think some people know that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 39, the apostle Paul wrote that there was a difference in human flesh and animal flesh. He said there's a difference. They're not the same. All flesh are not the same. In Leviticus chapter 17 and verse number 11, the Bible says life is in the blood. I don't know that they fully understood back then just how powerful that statement was. But God did, and it's through the Bible in multiple places. The life is in the blood. God gave his life. He shed his blood. Jesus shed his blood, gave his life. Life's in the blood. Amen. Um, and that, they, that's all the way back in Leviticus 17 during the time of Moses that that was, that was uh, taught to man. And then uh, multiple places, but in Psalm 139, verse number 15 and 16, we're taught that unborn babies are real people. Yeah. 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 What the world calls a clump of cells. 
is a, is a person. A person. And you got this, you got this, some people that don't even believe that it's a soul until it draws its air. Because the Bible says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. But a child has a soul when he's conceived. Jeremiah chapter number one, verse number five, God told Jeremiah, I appointed you from your mother's womb. God had a plan and a purpose for him before he was born. Amen. There's people today that still don't believe that. Well, that's, that's, that's old news. Amen. Uh, and then in Leviticus chapter number six and verse number 28, there's some teachings about the science of germs and sanitation. And they were given some rules about, about scouring the, the, the bowls where the blood had been and rinsing them out with water. And there's so many other just sanitary laws that God had given the nation of Israel about germs and just about health. A lot of nations that, that today uh, and for decades, for centuries, have just been filthy and been overrun with disease. They're not even practicing uh, just simple sanitary laws that are taught in the Old Testament. And a lot of people don't know this, but the nation of Israel, when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they had little paddles. And when they had to use the restroom, they had to go out and dig a little hole and cover it up. I mean, God taught them sanitary things. I think it's interesting in the story of feeding the 5,000, they're out in the middle of the wilderness. Jesus had them sit on the grass. Just little things. That's all throughout the scriptures that later, after guys have got doctor's degrees, they've got microscopes, they've got all this technology, they're like, oh, look at this. Yeah, it's in the Bible from like thousands of years ago. God told them that. Details about animals. I mean, specific details about animals. The eyesight of the eagles, for example. Fascinating stuff. And Genesis chapter number one, verse number 24 and 25 teaches that animals can only reproduce after their own kind. Yeah. God knew that. God taught that. This was a long time before any doctors ran any tests to figure it out. In uh, Proverbs chapter six, verse six through 10 talks about the ant and the, the workers are females and they do not sleep. Fascinating, isn't it? In Psalm chapter 104 and verse number 25, it tells us that the oceans are filled with creatures great and small. Psalm 104, I read this verse this afternoon and I was just marveling because you know that there's probably not a very, it's probably highly unlikely that the author of the book of Psalms ever did any deep sea diving. But in Psalm 104, I wasn't going to read it, but I've got to, verse number 25, it says, So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping, innumerable, both small and great beasts. Oceans are filled with of just all kinds, varieties of, of, of animals and, and, and life forms. And David, a shepherd boy, wrote this on the inspiration of Scripture. Is anybody beside me find this fascinating? Yeah, they're not, just, they're not just making this stuff up. God's telling them what to write down. We could talk about biology all night, but then we could talk about astronomy. Man, the Bible is filled with all kinds of facts about the universe. In Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number nine, we know that the universe was taught, the universe is infinite for practical, all practical purposes. And the Bible talks about that, the heavens being higher. And just, I mean, it's amazing that they were able to write these things. The, the stars are too numerous to count, according to Jeremiah 33 and verse number 22. He says, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, 
Jeremiah 33, 22. When I read that, I thought, well, that was a long time ago. I'm just curious to see with all of our telescopes and all of our NASA scientists if maybe they've been able to count all the stars. And so I just grabbed my phone and I said, Siri, how many stars are there in the universe? Because I mean, if anybody knows, she will. <laughs> Verbatim, here's her answer. Astronomers estimate that there are about 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way alone and that there are millions upon millions of other galaxies also. I was like, yeah, they still ain't counting them. The Bible said that in Jeremiah. In Job chapter 26 and verse number 7, that verse teaches that there is an empty space in the north sky and that the earth is suspended in space. In Job 26, 7, he stretched out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. That's Job 26, 7. How did he know that? In Job 25, verse number five, he wrote that the moon reflects light. It doesn't have light of its own. He said in Job 25, five, behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not. It's a reflection. Isn't that something? In Hebrews chapter one, verse number two, it says that there are other planets. The Bible says, unto whom also he made the worlds, plural. So the writer of Hebrews knew that there were other planets in the galaxy, or either he didn't know it, but he just wrote what God told him to write. It is amazing. What about geology, geophysics? We could read, I mean, just all night, we could just look at verses. The, for example, Isaiah 40, verse number 33 says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Isaiah wrote that the earth was round. Right. Amen. Yeah, some of y'all are looking at me funny. You have to say that today because you got flat earthers out there. Right. Still believe the earth is like a frisbee out there in space. In Luke chapter 17, verse 30 through 35, it teaches that there are different time zones. Now, this is before telephone. How would anybody know that there were different time zones because they couldn't communicate to each other at the same time from different time zones? But it talks about the day Jesus comes back. It says that there'll be two in the bed. One will be taken in the other left. Two will be grinding. One will be taken in the other left. Two will be working in the field. One will be taken in the other left. They're in different time zones. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 28, verse number five, that there was fire within the earth. For as for the earth, out of it cometh bread, and under it is turned up as it were fire. How would Job know that? I'm sure he never drilled down and realized how hot it is on the heart of the earth, like we know it to be. In Psalm chapter eight, verse number eight, David wrote that oceans have currents. Because Psalm 8, 8 says, And whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. There are currents within the ocean. Some of those ships, when they found that out, well, they were able to really get up and go. Currents inside the ocean. How would David, a shepherd boy, know that if God hadn't told him? Job 38, 16, he wrote that there are springs in the sea. Hast thou entered, Job 38, 16, hast thou entered into the springs of the sea? 
Or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? This is a conversation that Job is having with God. God's talking to Job. Remember, he said, gird up your loins like a man. And God began to reveal stuff Job would have never known if God hadn't told him. The Bible in multiple places teaches the water cycle or the hydrologic cycle as we know it. Three stages, evaporation, condensation, and I almost said perspiration, but that ain't it. Precipitation. Evaporation, condensation, and precipitation, all right? That's in the Bible. That whole hydrologic cycle is in multiple places. In Psalm 135 and verse number seven, David wrote, he calls it the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. What a verse. In Ecclesiastes chapter number one and verse number seven, it says, all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under, under the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. That's the hydrologic cycle. Amen. It rains and the water runs down the rivers, runs down the mountains, flows into the sea, evaporates, goes back over the mountain and rains. It's a hydrologic cycle. How would they know that? If God had not told them. We could stand up here all night and we could talk about in, in internal evidences and proofs of the, in the confirmations of the inspiration of scripture. The Bible talks about the law of thermodynamics. It's unbelievable. Laws of botany, plants, plant life, seeds, except the seed fall into the earth and die. How'd they know that? God told them. Archaeological proofs and evidence, timetables. The Bible tells about things that happen. And the sequence of events and all has been able to be gone back and traced. And all those things are true. Again, I've mentioned this several times. I don't need archaeological proof to believe my Bible. But some people do. And it always adds up. Cities are where they were t- said they were. And, and, and the traveling time from point A to point B is always very realistic and believable. Because the Bible's true. And kings and things and and Luke 2 talks about uh, uh, the, the, the census and the taxation. All that's been tracked back, all that's been traced back, and all that's been found to exactly happen, just exactly like it said. I was even studying one time, and they found, they found remains of chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea. I wonder how they got there. I wonder if it's possible that that might have been Pharaoh's chariots where the wheels fell off. I don't know. I'm just going out on a limb here. It wasn't a bunch of people going across on barges and dropping them off, I can tell you that. I mean, it it happened. The things that the Bible says happened. Historical evidences and much, here's what's fascinating to me. Much of these revelations and much of these truths that we looked at tonight were found in the book of Job. And Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible. Job lived sometime between the flood and the time of Abraham. How did he know all that stuff? God told him. God told him. And all these truths today that's only recently been discovered and verified and scientifically proven are in the Bible from thousands of years ago. 
I want to say again in closing, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16 is true. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That Bible is right. The Bible is true. You can take it to the bank. These were not just a bunch of men that had a close relationship with God that just wrote down what they thought, what they experienced. God used them to give us his word. We have the word of God tonight. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm grateful this evening for the fact that we have the Bible.